This is a podcast from Minute Media. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Tiger Trigger Podcast here at MotorCityPainless.com. I'm Ray Hook, Sailing Simon's Uper, and Chris Brown. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Our Heart Media, and Stitchler. And please subscribe to our Patreon, Patreon for Patreon.com forward slash Tigers Minor League Report. As this has been a pretty eventful last couple of days here around the website. Everything. Uh, Mark Gurash will be a surprise guest. He'll be joining us here in 15 minutes. So, yeah, he has some thoughts about the 2020 season. My voice is a little, a little shot tonight, so I might be doing a lot of mute myself. So I, I'm not a, you know, I want to be a douchebag and cough on camera because that's it's inappropriate. So before we get to, there's a lot to get to this evening, including what we saw and heard down at Comerica Park. Chris and I were down there today. Thank you again to the PR department over at the Detroit Tigers for allowing us to come down there. It was a really, really cool experience. And yeah, I, there, I can't, honestly, I can't express this enough. Thank you. And it was really cool to meet a lot of cool people. And it was trying to, like I said, it was just one of those things where you're, you try not to be like, oh, look who do your headlights. <laughs> Cause we've been there before Chris, but this was a little different this time. Yeah, it was interesting. You know, the the very first thing that happened, of course, is is we get we go into the media entrance, we get on the elevator, and who is there but Kurt Gibson? <laughs> he's we're like, oh hey, Gibby, how are you? And he's got a he's got like a knee brace on right now. I don't know if uh, if you know what what happened to his knee if he had surgery or something like that. But he was he smiled at us and he seemed like a you know happy pleasant guy. And uh, we said, uh, Rod said, hey, I love hearing you on the uh, the Drew and Mike podcast. And he was like, hey, you want me to tell some? You got any jokes for me? And we're like, no, we got. I'm sorry, we weren't we weren't prepared with jokes for Kirk Gibson today. But uh, yeah, it was it was it was you know we've been down on fields before many times in the minor leagues and stuff like that. But there was and we've been to Comerica so much that once you're on the field, it doesn't feel all that different, right? It's cool to be down there and to be interacting with everybody. You know, uh, we were down in the dugout with Al Avila briefly. Raj got to talk to him about Cuban food, which was fun. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, – he took my – because I was like, oh, here's a Cuban place. And he takes my phone and I show him where it's at. So that was a – Chris caught that interaction on uh, – took a picture of the interaction. It was pretty interesting. As, uh, But either way, part of my voice, as I said, is just trying to recover from a long week. But uh, before we get before we get into everything, I wanted to make a mini announcement that the show next week and shows therefore after there'll be a couple changes coming up. I can't really say for sure, but you'll find out anytime after. If you're on social media tomorrow, maybe after eleven thirty tomorrow in the morning, you'll find out for sure. So the show's still staying the same, no different changes or anything like that. The name might be a little different, but like I said, I. We'll go more into that tomorrow, and then new sponsor is Waffle House. Say what? The new sponsor is Waffle House. Oh, dude, be sweet. I, you know, we're lo- we might be looking for. We could be legitimately looking for sponsors. So if you're interested in sponsoring the show, let us know because we'll, yeah, we'll have a bigger audience. And uh, like I said, there'll be more information about it coming out tomorrow on social media, what have you. But uh, I will say this: that 
I can formally say that on Sunday will be my last day as the editor in chief over, I'm sorry, Fansack calls it at co expert, but Sunday will be my last day as the co expert over at Motor City Bengals. So, uh, Uper and Chris will be continuing on. And yeah, like I said, more tomorrow on what's going on. But uh, these fine gentlemen, I'll listen to the staff, will continue on. But it's, uh, I want to really, really thank Kurt. Uh, who's my boss over there, fan side, for providing this opportunity. And uh, Kurt's been one of the best mentors, best boss I've ever had. It just keeps it real. He's very helpful without being too naggy about it and everything, especially after the experience I had on Monday, which was a strange experience. Anyways, yeah, I don't want to look into that, but he is by far one of the most influential people. Him. And Brandon Day, I want to give a, a shout out to those two because they made me a better writer and what have you. So, but like I said, more to come. Stuff will you like I said, you guys will nothing on the show will change too much. So that that I know. No, I don't think no, but we'll be good. So, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go turn on some lights behind me because it looks like I'm being like overexposed by the sun right now on my screen at least. I can see pure. You look like, you look like Seamus from WWE right now. Like just <laughs> blinding light on my face. So I'll be back in one second. Okay. He does look a bit ghostly. He does look, yeah, he does look a bit ghostly. <laughs> so was Kirk Gibson the most famous person you met today? Uh, in terms of interaction with people, interacting sure. with people, I, I did talk to Dan Petrie for a moment because I was at the Orchard Lake St. Mary's game on Saturday between uh, Catholic Central. So we did talk a little bit about that. Jack White was within 20 feet of us. So. Nice. Yeah, Jack, he, 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 blue hair. We saw from the press box. We're like, who's that with the blue hair? And I was like, well, they're talking to him like he's not a freak. So it's got to be somebody who's supposed to be here. So it's got to be Jack White. <laughs> he's not going to be a reporter. Yeah, he's going to be singing the national anthem. And you know what was really cool, by the way, is Evan Woodbury just of MLive. That was another fantastic thing. And by the way, going forward, if I name drop, I'm not trying to name drop and go, ooh, from, if anybody's familiar with Drew Mike, I just, it was just a little bit. Surreal today it was kind of a shock to the system. And and Jamie from Channel Four held our microphone for us. That was very nice of her. Yes. <laughs> oh, wait, when we were having AJ, when we were talking to AJ Hinch. Yeah, the, you know the AJ Hinch. So it's one of those things where uh, you see it on TV all the time. They they talk to the manager, and you don't realize until you're there that all the cameras are like four inches from his face. I don't know what it is about the cameras that make it seem like like they're like two three feet away, but no, yeah. there's absolutely no space. I it, in. For somebody who's never like gone through that before, I could see how that'd be uh, very intimidating. Interviewed like that, but AJ Hench is as cool as can be. He didn't seem bothered by it at all. And yeah, you, you can see he, he commands the press there, and he he you could see how he could command the locker room too. But yeah, we didn't didn't get a whole lot from his uh, I don't know eight ten minute uh, presser there. He, he talked about Torkelson and and uh, you know he he understands how it's it's his first day and you only get that once. And so it's going to be a big deal, but he, he really wants him to just be one of the guys. He doesn't want to have him have to stand out. And that's why he's batting him lower. And, and if he does better, he'll move up in the lineup over the course of the season. And he talked about Austin Meadows, you know, basically playing every day. And uh, yeah, it, it, uh, it, 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 he's very clear about uh, somebody asked him like, Hey, do you think all these pitchers are going to take a step forward together? And he's like, yeah, I mean, that's great for you guys. That's a cool narrative, but we don't really care. We just want to win every game. <laughs> Yeah. That was my favorite part. Of this. Yeah, no, it's it's very uh, like he understands what the press is after, and that's good. You know, you don't have to you don't have to fake it or 
feel bad or, or try to like you know feed him information. He's like this, yeah, okay, that's cool. We don't really care. We want these. All these guys are good. They're all different levels. They all have to figure some things out, and we just want to win. Yeah, I suppose oh. at some level, whether he wins with Matt Manning or wins with Tyler Alexander, he wins, right? Yeah. No, he doesn't. Get, that's the thing. Like he understands what they represent as the three young starters and the potential like cornerstones of the franchise, but he he doesn't really care. But his his priority is winning, as it should be. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, you know that that we we realized that last year too. Uh, but for the three, four years before that, when it was the rebuild going on, it was kind of like, Hey, there's a lot more going on here than trying to win. And now they're trying to win. And that's been obvious for, uh, for a while now, yep. particularly with the off season too. And, and then one thing while we were there, I didn't read Lynn Henning's story, but McCoskey retweeted. He said that, uh, that Riley green, it, it might be more than six to eight weeks for his foot. And we, we started to wonder if maybe that was what, really push the Tigers to go get Austin Meadows. If it if it's more like maybe more like three months, then yeah. Maybe it's time to make a, a bigger move. Yeah, and um, well let's really go into that in the Austin Meadows trade. That was a, a trade that caught everybody off guard. So if anybody out there said they knew this was happening, you're full of crap because <laughs> nobody did. Now wait a minute. Now wait a minute. Oh okay, go ahead, Chris. Go ahead. No, I mean I, I did do it was one of my 600 suggestions in, in a I wrote. I can't say that, like, hey, this is what you need to do. I was like, maybe they go get Austin Meadows. I, I put Kiermaier first because I was like, they probably want a center fielder. So, but, yeah, no, this is a I, – I think you're right in general. Like, I mean, you've been, you've been talking about it all offseason, really. Like, you really wanted them to make one more uh, addition. And I think you brought up the outfield a lot. You thought that they could do something there, and it just didn't seem like they were going to. And then, bam, out of nowhere, they did. Yeah, I mean, well, I, you. Oh, go ahead. I was to say, Youper, you both and I, you and I both were on that outfield train conducting that. And while Youper's approach was to sign somebody, I thought that the Tigers were going to make a have to make a trade because of what was going on with Paredes. And I've been saying this since, as much as I wanted Paredes to make the team in, in last year, I kind of changed my tune a little bit. I started seeing Ryan Kreidler kind of do what he's doing, and there is this already in, in, interesting narrative too with. You have Gage Winokur starting the season in Erie. We'll, we'll get to the minor league rot. Well, that's going to be a separate podcast. But Gage Workman's already starting in Erie. He did really well. He had a good spring, so it made Paredes expendable. But don't come to me tweeting about his every performance at Durham. Stop. That, seriously, that's going to be a stupid narrative. Well, well, Tampa knows something we don't know. Yes, yes, they're good evaluating talent. But go ahead, Duper. Oh, I was just going to say that you know, I did not call the trade. Of course. I'm certainly not saying that. About an hour or two before, I, I, I tweeted out, my thoughts was either go big or forget it by getting an outfielder. Um, because we had spent the day hearing about some lesser lights from Arizona and some other places. And to me, it wasn't any better than just going to put the guys on hand. I mean, you're just, you know, you're replacing a bunch of mediocrities with a, a mediocrity plus. You know, it just wasn't worth it. Uh, and I really, and I put it in the tweet, I didn't think they would go big. You know, I was just putting it out there. That's what I'd rather do. And then an hour later, boom, Austin Meadows. Wow, that's pretty good. <laughs> so uh, it, I've, I'm still, to the, you know, very impressed that they made a commitment uh, to a young player with a higher ceiling. Uh, and even if he just matches last year's performance, it's still a, a pretty valuable player. Uh, it really showed to me, 
And I put that in the, in the column the next day, a commitment now that, yeah, this, this team wants to win. Uh, the building certainly will continue. Uh, but the focus now uh, is winning. Uh, I was not very happy after the lockout that they didn't spend on some talent that was available. Uh, uh, this kind of replaces some of that to me. It showed me something from the front office. Yeah, and one of the things that I will say about the front office this offseason, and I've, I've said it before, but it is worth repeating. They were able to get everything they wanted to get on their shopping list. And so, would they have liked another reliever? Sure. I mean, you know, but then again, right now, we'll get to that a little bit later about the bullpen, but get back on awesome, awesome Meadows. I thought it was a really smart move. And they were able to get somebody looking at the division. And we talked about, we, I talked about this on the uh, Woodward Sports, uh, uh, the Big D Energy. Was it? Yeah, Big D. I'm sorry. Big D. And we talked, I talked a little bit about the lack of left handed starting pitching in the AL Central. And they are clearly loading up for Bear with, against right handed pitching. And you can say what you want about, yeah, the, right now, for example, Willie Castro starting center for Toledo tonight. We saw Zach Short an opening day start for Toledo. So at some point, you're going to see an infielder converted into your outfielder, which I guess it works for Cleveland, who traded their <laughs> only outfield tonight for an old friend of the show, Anthony Castro. So what are you going to do about that? But either way, what I like about Austin Meadows is he's under 30, yep. and he has hit a career 260 hitter. He's hit very well, and the Chicago White Sox are trying to go after him, and the Tigers blocked that from happening. So, And the reason why is he's over 300 hitter with an OPS over 1,000 and guaranteed re- field over, I think, 25 or 26 at-bats. Enough of a sample size to go, oh, well, that, that stands out. And he can play. He was, this guy was a former All-Star. He It was that year where he hit 291 with 33 home runs and it was just under 100, 100 RBIs. So, of course, the narrative of, him reuniting his brother's really cool too. He's a big dude too. When we saw him today, I, yeah, it's even like Victor Reyes, Uper. I know you're always talking about Victor <laughs> Reyes, but it was, it was when you see him right there in person. It's completely different, but yeah. But uh, Chris, what'd you like about the trade? Oh, just about everything. Uh, yeah, like you know, the, the, you see some. We were talking about this a lot in the car ride down to the, the stadium today. Because uh, I'm getting increasingly annoyed by uh, kind of national writers, <laughs> and, I, it, and I, I shouldn't be because they can't possibly know the, all the nuances of everything involved here. But I, I was talking about the and Ben Clemens is a great writer at Fangrass, but he he talked about how he he thought that the Rays won the trade. He thought Paredes would be better than Meadows this year, and I you know. There's a chance, but we watched Paredes uh, intensely because he was one of the key cornerstones of this rebuild. You know, he was going to be nobody projected him to be a star, I don't think, but he he was going to be an average everyday player. Yeah, and we watched him, and it just wasn't there in the big leagues. Now, I struggle when they're young and and don't get regular playing time, but we've talked about it before, uh, like. Paredes being young doesn't necessarily mean much here because he's fully grown. He's been about the same size since he was 18. There's not, you're not going to project strength. If you want, if he's going to hit for more power in the big leagues, it's going to have to do, uh, do it with a swing change. 
Yeah, maybe the Rays are good enough to be able to do that at the start of the season. I don't know. Uh, and, and he has a lot of things you like about him. He, he's got a great eye for the zone. He makes contact pretty easily. He, he just wasn't in the plans here because where was he going to play? You know, he's not going to he's not going to outperform Jonathan's scope because scope's there for power basically, and he's not going to do that. And, and he's got a good arm, and he's a decent defender at third. But Candelario's better, and Candelario is a better hitter with more power. And so it's just, you know, it, it made sense that Tigers dealt from depth for once, and. <laughs> The Rays have you know more depth than anyone in the world, and so they were they'll, they'll be fine getting rid of Meadows and, and replacing them with you know three four guys who will put up just as much production. Yeah, but yeah, I don't know. It's it just it's one of those things where analysis has become here's what the numbers say, so this is what's going to happen a, a lot of times, and like ninety five percent of the articles, and and I do the same thing in, in articles like yeah he's going to be worth two WAR and this guy's worth one WAR, so won the trade. But I just don't. I think the Tigers are going to get a lot more out of Meadows than they would have out of Paredes, and probably more than the Rays would have got out of him. So it, it's a great deal for them. They've got him for three years, and he's another guy who's relatively young, but not going to get. We talked about this on the car ride too. He's he's almost twenty seven, so you're getting him for prime offensive years, but he's probably not going to get much better than he has been the last couple of years. So hopefully, he's better than last year. But I mean, uh, two years ago, but. Uh, He's still going to be a good above average player. There's a chance he ends up the the best player on the Tigers this year. And to get that player uh, the day like two days before the season started for a guy who wasn't really part of your plan, I think I don't know how you can can say that's a bad trade. You, you can't. Yeah, and I, and, I, I'm not even sure where where Paredes is going to play for the Rays. You know, their, their depth is such that I, I I wouldn't be shocked they try to resurrect him and. Uh, they spin him off for something they need during the season this year again. He could easily be on the move. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of – you can play him second, they can play him short, you can play him third. But the, somebody tweeted when it happened that uh, uh, the raised top prospect, the second baseman – Brujan? Yeah, Brujan was pissed. Somewhere he's yelling about it, but, I mean, all jokes aside – you know what? Tampa could flip Paredes for a starter, and and you know what? And, and Ray Ray McConnell over here on YouTube's made a really good point, and he's absolutely right. The National Riders are going to flexibly, reflectively going to favor the Rays on assembling young players and trades, and that's true because the Rays do it very well. So you can't argue past history, but it's just I think people maybe Fangrass wasn't expecting the Tigers to make a smart move. I don't know. I mean, it's anything's possible at that point, but. I will and the, say, Rays, the, the Rays probably wanted that pick too, and the uh, bonus pool money. Yeah, because uh, the Rays will somehow flip that into a, an All Star, and that's what they do, <laughs> and that's what they're really good at in player development. So, as far as what it, the shores up a Tiger outfield that, that they desperately needed. Now the bullpen, and one of those things about the bullpen is you see now that Jose Cenero might be. I mean, he's been we kind of hurt his tail a little bit, but he's not going to be seen for a while. I mean, this is a guy who kind of grit through one spring training and it just his arm was never the same. And there was, you know, you see uh, Fulmer lost velocity in spring, but again, didn't matter on opening day. He was throwing 95, 96 with gas, throwing with gas. So now you have to see who's the next man stepping up because Tigers made their rot. When you saw their roster, they saw Elvin Rodriguez make the team. And at first, people are, he's only had he, he, every start except for one appearance in Toledo last year 
And Trevor Hu from Bless You Boys talked about his spin rate and why the front office likes him so much. So it's going to have to be a next man stepping up, whether it's Jimenez or Rodriguez. But, I mean, you're like, we'll make a trade or look at – I mean, like, for example, I was thinking about Carl Edwards Jr. because we saw him pitch in Rochester yesterday. But Rochester, the, the Red Wings have just a bunch of guys that are like – they have uh, Tyler Clippert's in there. I mean, Tyler Clippert has been around for a while and – the scene doesn't really there's, – there's not much to the, discuss. I mean, Luis Castillo, who the Tigers picked up, uh, the, the kind of sidearm right-hander, it, there's nothing – nothing's going to come up for a bit. So this is where I think the Tigers – this is going to hurt them early on in the season. Yeah, you know, I, I wrote the article yesterday about the uh, the, the bullpen possibly being a nightmare. <laughs> uh, you know, you get a little flowery with your language, but it – you know, if you if you go back and look, you can look at the leverage index on Fangraphs. Basically, let you know uh, how important the situation was when the reliever came in. And last year, uh, Fulmer, Michael Fulmer, came into the most high leverage situations, followed by Gregory Soto, followed by Jose Cisnero. He was Hinch's number three guy, and he's gone now. Yeah. And they brought Chafin in to help with that, and he's not going to be there to start the year. Uh, nobody said anything about him today. I think he'll probably be out for another 10 days or so, but uh, who knows? His velocity was down to start the year. Uh, and then you've got Kyle Funkhauser, who's probably not coming back until the start of May, and he was a key be- uh, piece for the bullpen until about the final month when he seemed to to slow down. So, yeah, they've kind of cut out relievers three through six, <laughs> uh, and, and that's going to test anybody's bullpen depth. And, yeah, we, we talked about it with, uh, with some of the beat writers today, like, they, they had no plans of Elvin Rodriguez coming north with the team. If they did, he would have gotten more than two appearances in spring training. Yeah. They, they, they sent him away. Same with Jacob Arms. They sent him away. They were like, yeah, we've seen enough. We'll, we'll call you later. And then they had to bring him back because they just didn't have the depth. And, and so the, and the main concern there, right, is the beginning of the year, the pitchers aren't as stretched out as they need to be. So they're going to be coming out of games after 75, 80 pitches five innings and with 10 consecutive games and possibly a double header or two, depending on the weather, there's going to be a lot of innings eaten by guys like Ronnie Garcia and Drew Hutchison. And that could get the team off to an ugly start. Uh, You really have to hope that none of the members of the rotation have an ugly outing and are out after two or three innings, because that's going to really make things hairy for a, for a couple of weeks. So, you know, you don't want to overblow it. And Hinch, one thing he did say today was that he thought the starters, somebody asked him, hey, who stood out to you? One player, one pitcher. And he's like, I, I think all the starters ended up getting more ready than I thought. He thought the starters, led by Eduardo Rodriguez, he, he thought that he was really kind of leading the way by pitching deeper into games in spring than, than he expected and that they're more ready. So hopefully that saves them. But you, you have to worry about the bullpen right now. Yeah, so, I mean, who, whoever would have thought, say even two months ago, but especially like two years ago, we'd be sitting here on the eve of opening day of uh, 2022 and thinking, man, Joe Jimenez, really need him to come through. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, it seemed like that would have run its course long ago, but here we are. So Troy in YouTube asked if we're going to win tomorrow or what guys with Makata and Anderson out. Troy, I look, I have a good feeling about it tomorrow. I mean, I think the Tigers – Depending, you look at how Eduardo pitched the last couple starts in spring training. He was looking good. 
and the White Sox are kind of in a state of flux as far as roster construction and everything right now. They're they made a trade though. I mean, I do like their trade. They traded AJ Pollock for AJ Pollock from the Dodgers extension for Craig Kimball, and Kimball responded with getting blown up his first appearance in the spring. So, uh, join us right now is the the quintessential. The one person, if there's like, so if you're looking at a compass, right? If you're a tiger, well, let me let me explain, Chris. I know you're giving me a weird look. Mark Urash is the guy that, if you're thinking, he keeps it in perspective. So if you're like a compass and you're believing the hype or you're believing things and what have you, he'll he'll kick your ass the other way back and go, look, this is what you really should see, and he'll compass you through everything. So, uh, Mark. Welcome to the podcast. It's been a while. How you doing, man? It's an honor to... Whoa. Whoa. It wasn't good. My <laughs> I think you have, to, uh, here, bro? you have to turn off your speaker. Mm. <laughs> I'm going to mute the mic for a minute there so you can get that together. Uh, but, uh, I, I, you know, I'm inclined to say the Tigers will win tomorrow just because, you know, the hype of opening day. But baseball's dumb. You know, I, I just was checking. The Reds are beating the the World Series champs, Braves, right now, three to one. Because baseball, anything can happen. I do. I, you know, I, I have a feeling that it's going to be a nice win for the Tigers tomorrow. But who knows? It, you know, like I said one one rough. I think from a starter can make everything unravel. So we'll see. Should we try this again? No, you're good now. You're good. I said, still hurt a little yeah. bit. There's a little bit. Not as bad before. <laughs> well, I apologize. Uh, it's uh, not the best sound quality. I could switch my laptop if you want. Um, yeah, let's go ahead and do that. And I'll uh, I'll I'll put you back on when everything's all settled in for a second. All right. So while Mark is taking care of that, I'm excited to see uh, Lang this year and and see what he brings. You know, I mean, there's the young guy with the arm. If someone's going to break out and give them 45, 50 quality innings throughout the summer, maybe he's that guy. I mean, let's look at this. Let's look, okay, let's see the, the official with the official roster and everything that looks like with the Tigers who announced it earlier today, which is, I will say, having the every kind of some of the stuff out officially streamed out to your email is nice, Chris. Isn't it? I mean, I don't know, at least in my opinion, it is. So, with the bullpen here, and here's okay. So one of the things, the reason why I was mentioning the bullpen is there's one guy in there in particular that can really kind of be a difference maker based off his increased velocity. And that's Will Vest. I mean, Will Vest has a jump in velocity than he did last year. He can be able if he can kind of bridge that gap, be the Funkhauser six or something, and get him out of some jams. And I really believe that he will be a guy that the, if he can get early, if he can get good early on, based off of what we've seen what Chris Fetter can do, I think Vest is going to be a key part of that bullpen. I never, I know it sounds skeptical for me to say that, but it's just there's some stuff there. And Troy has a question in YouTube: Will Fulmer ever get back to his rookie of the year form? No. Well, it, yeah, I mean he's not going to ever start again for the Tigers. I don't think unless there's uh, like a plane crash or something. Because, yeah, I mean, it's just. I mean, you could argue that he was back to his rookie of the year form last year. He was great out of the bullpen. Uh, it just 
you know, yeah, I, I don't ever see him starting. Maybe with another team down the road, they'll give him another chance to start. But I think, uh, I think he's valuable out of the bullpen because he's a guy who can throw hard. He doesn't miss like a ton of a bat or a ton of bats. But what he has going for him is he's got a starter's arsenal with a reliever's velocity, and so that can be a pretty nasty mix if if you know how to pitch. And he he does. It's just, uh, I you know, he's got he's had so many injuries going back to. Uh, the minors that he's not a guy you really want to trust for more than 60 innings a year. Yeah. And then you have also Jason Foley is kind of the unknown too. Foley. The one of the things that well, I remember James Chipman talked about this when before Scott reported, he's got a good velocity fastball, but it's just straight. So if he can get his secondary pitches, I think Foley is going to be another guy too. That if he can, it really depends on his second, like I said, secondary pitches, but his fastball, if that is increased in movement from last year, he looked good at stretches last year. So, you know, I'm he, I'm always amazed, and this is maybe a little, you know taking it to a slightly different topic on it. When we talk, we hear about straight fastballs all the time, right? Mm-hmm. It just seems like I'm always stunned that can't be coached a little more with some kind of grip change. It just seems like the guy with the straight fastball always has a straight fastball. <laughs> yeah, you know, I. I I'm trying to remember. There were always those guys. There were a handful of guys who would throw like 99, and it just would get hit all the time. You're like, "What is wrong with this dude?" And mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I agree with because and just coming up as base, uh, when I was pitching in, in little league, I I learned to throw a baseball by holding the seams. Later on, found out it was a two seamer. I was throwing a two seamer my whole life, so I could see how if you're used to throwing it the whole way, I still throw like like that. I um, but. I don't know. Give me 30 minutes of work. And I think I can figure out how to throw a four seamer, you know, if if I'm a professional athlete. So it is kind of odd. I do think that, because I think what they, what they did with Foley is they had him. I don't know if he threw a sinker before, but that's what he's throwing now. Primarily. I think, you know, he'll mix in a a couple four seamers, but they, you know, give him two seamers because Mm -hmm. just any kind of movement at all. And that's what, I mean, he's a guy, I, I, I refer to him as kind of Hinch's designated double play reliever. Like he's a guy that Hinch is going to bring into situations to get a ground ball, and if he does that, he's going to stick in the bullpen. If he doesn't, uh, uh, he could be. You're right, Rush. Yeah, I just I went to go um, do something. I was going to show you the grip. Oh, yeah. it's a solid, it's a solid baseball prop. You know. Um, yeah, and and uh, so if he doesn't get those outs, I mean he he might stay in the bullpen for a while by default, uh, but you, you know I. They're going to they're gonna cycle through relief arms this year because they're going to need to. And the one good thing, theoretically, is that you can rebuild a bullpen on the fly during the course of a season if you have to. And the Tigers have – they have the sort of trade chips that you can use to get bullpen pieces. No question. Know. So we'll see you what know, happens. A competent front office should be able to do it and add some depth. Now, the Tigers have not done it in several years that we can tick off, right? It hasn't happened. But that doesn't mean it won't happen this time. I mean, the, the coaching staff has a bit more uh, influence in the, with the front office now. Maybe to target the right people, uh, what to invest. But, you know, the big thing with the bullpen is uh, how long is Chafin out? How long is Funkhauser out? What do they look like when they get back? Because if they're, you know, in decent shape when they return, now you just need some of these guys that they're bringing into the game tomorrow to just get you through a month. Okay? We're not talking about the whole season. Can you get us through a month? Can you give us, uh, you know, half a dozen innings of, of decent work? And you know how variances in baseball, that could happen very easily. 
So, Mark, uh, just wanted to ask about your – in terms of, I know your son pitched, so did he have a two-seamer or a four-seam grip right away? What was the kind of grip that he went with? I know I'm used to both. Grip. Both, okay. Is that something that is in, trained right away if, if you're <laughs> – Ray, Ray McCall. Matt pa- Matt Anderson is the patron saint of straight fastballs. <laughs> yeah, yes. Well, well, look, you know, I think even you know, p- pitching has evolved a lot in the last decade. Forget, you know, the last decade they've been able to understand uh, movement much better than ever before. The advent, you know, of Rapsodo, Trackman, all kinds of different data collection, you know, methodologies. But you know, typically two seam, two seam, either sinks or rides to the arm side, and four seam stays on plane uh, at the top of the zone. And I think they've more often than not, been able to document that's a fact. I think how to use them and how to optimize pitchers now that they understand spin. There's low spin pitchers, there's high spin pitchers, and what the Tigers have been poor at for a long time until the last, say, three or four years is understanding how to get the most out of specific pitchers' arsenals. Um, or tweaking their arsenals. Maybe they had, you know, latent talents that they didn't even know they had. So if you watch Joe Jimenez throw now, most of his fastballs are at the top of the zone. He's learned how to use use his change much more. He's got much more polish on his slider. But not unlike most Tiger pitchers, in the major leagues, if you leave fastballs, in hitting zones, they go far. And uh, that's been Jimenez's problem. That's been Scooble's problem. That's been Mize's problem. They all have that problem. And they're going to have to hopefully improve their command level or they're going to have to improve when they miss with pitches, not to leave them where the ball leaves the yard when they make mistakes. And they made too many mistakes last year. So hopefully, you know, maturity will help with all of them. I mean, Jimenez has tweaked his delivery a little bit, has more rhythm. Scooble's throwing more breaking pitches. Um, We'll see if Mize's command is a little more polished, but those are things that the Tigers plan on improving. Pitchers that they're going to use in higher leverage situations are going to have to execute better. I mean, and I'm sorry for the technical difficulties that we started with, but I think you guys were saying some pretty important things about the depth relievers. But I think what we really need to understand initially what the depth relievers are going to have to try and do, especially in these early games, it's not, you know, I don't think Hinch is planning on having uh, these you know, Will Vest and Jacob Barnes throwing leverage, okay? So what I mean is they're not coming in the game when they're ahead four to two. That's not going to be their job. Hopefully, they're ahead four to two so many times in the first three weeks that he can't avoid doing that because 
you know, look, Lang, Jimenez, Fulmer, Soto, they can't pitch every day. And I'm sure he'll try to stagger that, you know. Two of them will pitch on one day. Soto made, Soto's had pretty good success pitching often to close. But, you know, Michael Fulmer's not pitching consecutive days very many times here in the month of April. I promise you that, okay? So, you know, these other guys are going to be there for games where they're losing 6-1 to one and 5-2 to two and 9-3. to three. Somebody has to soak up those innings. So, you know, the Rony Garcias and the Rodriguez's and the Vests, it, their job is pretty important. They can't get bombed and, you know, have to be taken out of games when Hinch needs them to get five, six outs in games that maybe they're not going to win. It's just as important that – he doesn't have to burn useful innings from pitchers that he needs when games are winnable. And and I think that's the art form of A.J. Hinch. And I think not only does Detroit have this issue in April, I think every team in the major leagues is going to have this issue. So there's it's going to be very, you know, I think I tweeted something a couple days ago that, you know, Let's hope the Tigers don't go eight and twelve in April, and they go twelve and eight instead, because those four games are pretty meaningful. Okay, it's a big difference between eighty-three wins and eighty-seven wins. It's a big difference between you know, one's going to make the playoffs, one's not. You know, and then seeding comes into play. So, you know, we can think these games in April don't mean much. But if you're serious about your season, maybe they mean a little more than you think. So should be interesting uh, watching how the Tigers navigate this problem. They have a bullpen depth problem, but I would say probably 15 to 20 teams in the major leagues got a bullpen depth problem right now. So, you know. You know, and it's funny, as as you mentioned, it's going to be just as interesting, too, not only with the games that are up four to two, but even a game where they're down four to two, but it's the sixth inning, who's getting those innings? Because that's still a very winnable game at times. No doubt. And that's when Jacob Barnes might get to pitch. And, you know, I was talking about this with Raj. I said, you know, I did some homework on Jacob Barnes, and he, he was pretty ugly in the spring, and he was not too good the last two years. But ironically, the first three years he pitched with the Brewers, he pitched a he pitched a hundred and 40 or 50 innings and he was pretty good. Mm. So I don't, not exactly sure why his performance has deteriorated in the last, you know, three and a half years, but you know, maybe it's something, you know, Fetter can at least in help him improve. Approval. Yeah. yeah. He, he could be, the other thing that terrified me is a lot of people think Will Vest has a lot of potential, but, you know, Will Vest threw 32 games for Seattle last year yeah. where they released him. He threw five clean innings. And to, you know, clarify <laughs> what a clean inning is, it's a one, two, three inning. So he threw 32 appearances. He had five, one, two, three innings. It's not, not real encouraging. The only reason why I was encouraged, Mark, is because his velocity is up a little bit from what it was last year. So 
that little increase can make a big difference on the two type of fastballs he throws and giving them a little more right action. But if he's throwing what he did last year, that's not going to matter. The main issue he had last year was his slider got absolutely pummeled. It was like a 478 uh, weighted on base average against like, like hitters just teed off on the slider. So maybe he leans in more to the, the, the change up and uses the slider less. I'm sure they'll, they'll work on something like it's, it's a decent arm. It's he's uh, he's kind of like a, Alex Lang light. He's got three pitches. The velocity is there in the you know, 95 range, so not quite to, to where Lang is. But when you're uh, that kind of pitcher, you, you have to execute. And uh, I don't know. I, he'll he'll get plenty of chances, I think. It's just he's going to have to. I agree. I mean, I think the one thing you always have to hold out some hope for is, you know, from a Tiger perspective these days, is – Fetter is a very good pitching coach, but more importantly, really one thing that Fetter is super talented at is uh, pitch sequencing and game planning. Um, Known to be very good at it. Hopefully he can help some of these more marginal relievers sequence their pitches better. The other person that's supposedly very good at that is Tucker Barnhart. So we'll see if the combination of Fetter and Barnhart can improve some pretty fringy relief depth to, you know, make them more useful or usable. That's what I'm hopeful about. Yeah. And there's if the Tigers, the biggest thing, and, and this was said in the chat by Troy here in the YouTube chat is that they need to win these couple games early on because I hate to say it's not a do or die situation, but you don't have Tim Anderson until you have to face him until Sunday. His numbers at Comerica Park are insane. You kind of hope that tomorrow there's no rain because if there's a rain out, then there's only going to, unless they play a doubleheader on Saturday, it's just going to, if the Tigers can go out, win tomorrow, win Saturday, and hopefully, I mean, the sweep would be great. But if we're being realistic here, it's it's just, even they got no Makata either, so yeah. he's going to be on the IL. The Sox are getting tested too, like you, like you said. Mankata's out, Anderson's suspended, Lance Lynn is out, Crochet's gone. They traded away control. I, it, you know, everybody's going to be tested <laughs> this first couple of weeks, like like Mark was saying. So it'd be nice if the Tigers, the Tigers lineup is pretty much intact. They're only missing Riley Green, which is unfortunate. But uh, you can go out there and, and jump on these pitchers early and and you know bank some wins. Look, Chicago's got plenty of injury issues themselves. Anytime you're playing Chicago and Tim Anderson isn't playing, that's a huge help to whoever. That's Tim Anderson is brutalized Tiger pitching the last few years. I mean, the bottom line is, and I tweeted this today, I mean, the Tigers were absolutely ass against their own division last year. I mean, just terrible. Yep. And I think they were 16 games below 500, and they were only eight games below 500 on the season. So if you plan on doing anything, it'd be pretty simple to just improve to 500 against the division, win eight more games. I mean, so – a good place to start is tomorrow, you know, this weekend would be a good place to start. 
So, uh, let's you know, let's see what happens. It's I think last year we all learned that a AJ Hinch is really clever. B twenty six weeks is a long baseball season, man. A lot of things can happen. They were nine and twenty four, and we were calling uh, cemeteries to try to you know wonder where we could bury the team and. They, uh, they, the rest of the season, they played at an 85 win play, 85 win pace after going nine and 24. I mean, I'd written, and that's 129 games. It's a lot of baseball games. So, and they didn't even really play in some ways that great in September either. So, there's a, there's a lot to be said for what, this season can hold. I think the other thing is, I mean, I wanted to talk to you guys about this. wanted to get your impressions on what you guys thought the season could bring, but I think me included, it's, it's, I think you can't read too much in some ways into what happened last year. The Tigers overachieved quite a bit relative to what their analytics said they should have achieved. And, you know, I'll get into the numbers of that a little bit later, but I, I, you know, a lot of projection systems are not very friendly to the Detroit Tigers right now, correct? Yeah, we were just discussing that in, in Discord yesterday because, yeah, that they, when I broke out the spreadsheets last year, which is always dangerous, uh, the, yeah, the Tigers outperformed their war by 10 wins. It was the second most baseball behind the Mariners. The Mariners did it basically by, you know, winning a ton of one-run games. The Tigers kind of did it by guys like Casey Mize and Willie Peralta weaseling out of men-on-base situations at at an incredibly high rate. Now, we don't know if that's a a repeatable skill for for guys like that. They both throw splitters. Maybe that helps. But, uh, you know, years of analytics say it's probably not repeatable. Correct. But we keep saying, like, the Tigers are objectively more talented and better this year. But that doesn't mean that they're going to win more games. They could play better this year too, and still yeah. go you know seventy five wins. It, it's I think I said I wouldn't be shocked. Uh, anything between like seventy two and, and eighty eight wins or eighty six wins, I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. I, I, either way is possible. So you know, it, it's it's always fun this time of year. Lots of fans like to ask us um, how many games we think the team's going to win. If I remember correctly, last year, um, I don't. You, how many did you say last year? Last year, sixty-one. Seventy-one or sixty-one? Sixty-one, and I was looking really good on May eighth. Hey, I got to tell you, I, I, I think you know when we 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 have a reasonably infamous. You guys have your Slack, and but we have a reasonably infamous chat that, uh, you know, Raj, Chris, and I. And Brandon and and Keenan and Jed have had for a long time, many many years now, and so we always throw in our predictions in there. <laughs> I think Brandon was seventy one at one point, and he might have been the high guy. If I if, am I wrong at that, boys or not? I think I put seventy three or seventy four. He might have been the high guy. Yeah, but no, I, nobody was very not. optimistic, right? I think I was like sixty five. Chris, you remember what you were, Chris, or not? I think I think I was sixty nine. I'm actually looking back at last year's uh, post we did. Nice uh, on to see 
I thought we had some predictions in here, although I think I found the wrong post here. No, I think you, you, we did piss him. I this year I'm going to go. I went and wrestled back and forth about this. I know I, today when we did our prediction piece on Motor City Bengals, I put 82 wins, and I thought it was being a little generous. I mean, if I'm the the betting line in Vegas is I think 75 or 77, 77, 77. and I I went over a little bit. Like I I think. If you ask me that same question tomorrow, I might go, I might go just exactly eighty and eighty-two. There's a, it's just like I said, those three or four games right there were, I, I think it's just the pink. It has a lot of it has to go right to be in playoff contention, and that's where I think a lot of the fans are getting in trouble with. You know, it's it's a it's a high. You know, every every team is high variance when I use that term, right? Because a couple injuries oh, yeah. and you're going to vary quite a bit. But the Tigers, especially, you know, it's. You're going to inject two uh, highly talented rookies eventually when Green gets back into the lineup, and you're expecting something from them. That's hit or miss. You got a young pitching core of your three starters, and we've seen over time in history that can be great. It can be not so great. Uh, that could fall apart fast. So they are a hard team to kind of project uh, versus some others. Uh, I put them at 78. I bumped it up two when they got medals. Yeah, I, I, I would look back last year. I had 7092. Uh, this year I was at 8181 before the Meadows trade. And, and that, like you, bumped me up two wins to 83. This is, this is very, this is very, we, we, I'm glad we're memorializing this uh, on video <laughs> because uh, the most noted pessimist of the Avila era. Uh, <laughs> Do you guys remember what I told you the other day, how many games I thought we'd win? I don't. How many games I thought the Tigers would win? Huh. 87. Wow. That's what Jack White said that he thought they'd win 90. He said, I don't think they're going to win the pennant, but I think they're going to make the playoffs. That's the hardest it, button to button. It, it, <laughs> you know, and there, there's a lot of things I'd like, you know, we can get into this now. I mean, this is this is right in Chris's and my wheelhouse because it's how we kind of process the game in many ways. But I mean, you know, Chris, I I'm, I'm going to depend on you to to help me on this because I know you you know some of this math too. But you know, WAR is a very reliable predictor of how many games teams are going to win. Okay, and what you have to understand, a lot of people like to talk about war. And when you use team war, basically what happens is every single team, they consider replacement value. Every single team starts with, I think it's 47.682 wins. Yeah, round it up to 48. Yeah, round it up to 48. So you take 48 wins. As a baseline, 48 wins is zero, equals zero, okay? And then you add, you know, a a team's collective war at each position. You got pitching war and you have hitting war. And, you know, so essentially positional war and pitching war. And you add those numbers together and you take the collective war that's earned, add it to 48, and you should come out with the amount of wins a team has in a season. It's that that's pretty much the math. Would that that's want to add anything to that, Chris, or no? No, that's exactly right. I was actually pulling up my spreadsheet 
where I have all that. If you want me to, I can share my screen and show. You do whatever you want to do, but I, what I want to share with people that are listening to this is a frame of reference of just how terrible they were at a few positions last year. Okay. <laughs> that you, that's very important. And it actually tells me that, you know, our, the analytics team at Comerica made people understand there were a few things they needed to change. Okay. But, you know, they like to talk about how much catcher, you know, Barnhart will improve the catching. And I would say to you, look, Tucker Barnhart has never been over more than a one and a half war catcher. Okay. So mm-hmm. the Tigers catching was, was bad last year, but it, to expect monstrous upside from their catching relative to Tucker Barnhart being their primary catcher this year. I think that people forget that Jake Rogers was actually quite good for the time that he played last year, yep. both hitting wise and defensively. And yes, they missed him after the all-star break, but before the all-star break, the Tigers catching was one of their best positions, to be honest with you. The, re- the two culprits of terribleness that were just three, actually, that were just frighteningly Four were shortstop, where I think they had the 26th worst or something like that. They were a minus 2.4 war on the year collectively at shortstop. I don't know what you have there, Chris, but that's what I got. They were minus. Uh, yeah, I don't have the position. Yeah, I, I, I actually got it up on Fangraphs, so I'm looking at it. Um, they were minus 1.6. Uh, that might be baseball reference. They were minus 1.6 war in center field where they were just atrocious, okay? Um, They were also super poor at second base. And, you know, so when you start looking at war totals, you know, you're, you're like minus... I'll throw out just a round number for you. They're like minus six war just at second base shortstop and center field. DH couldn't have been very good either. So if you were to think about things in an average sense of what they have playing now, I mean, scope is typically a 1.6 to 2 war second baseman. I think that's pretty – you agree, Chris? That's pretty fair, right? He's been as high – Yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a player. He's been as high as 3.7 in his best year. And if he if he plays defense the way he consistently does and has about, you know, a, a, anything above a 110 WRC+, plus, he, he would be probably a 2.5 or better second baseman with that, okay? And that's not impossible. I think Jonathan Scope is going to be happy he's playing second base. He's going to be happy he's playing with Javi Baez. And he's going to be hitting sixth and seventh in the order. And that's, that's, that's a good spot for Jonathan Scope because when you're hitting second, 
people are concentrating on getting you out. When you're hitting sixth and seventh, a little less concentration. And I think he could do a little damage down in the bottom part of the order. So I think, you know, you're going from a minus two war to a two war. That's a that's almost a four war swing just there. Baez, if you look at him at short, notwithstanding the outliers 2020 season, Javi as a floor is a three war shortstop. But when he's not just at his floor, he's a he can be a four and almost a five war shortstop. And I think I've tweeted this many times. If you can get Javi Baez to walk two more times a month, he's he's going to be between a four and a five war shortstop just doing what he does, period, end of story. That's two times every month walking more than he does now. That's, that's 13 more walks for the year. Not a big ask there, okay? So, I mean, you're, you're looking at a five-war turnaround as a floor and maybe a six- or seven-war turnaround in, in a good season for Javi Baez just at shortstop. And in center field, unfortunately, my personal favorite player broke his foot. Um, I thought as a floor, he was a two-war player. I thought he could have easily been between a three- and a four-war player. He has all the ingredients of being a very, very good war player. He's going to have a really solid WRC+. plus. His walk rate's going to be even this first year between, you know, close to nine and maybe over 10. He, he likely would have hit 18 to 25 homers. He's going to be a very, very good player. I have no idea how his defense will play, but, I mean, I had to think that if there's another four or five. I mean, so you're looking at a turn. If, 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 if they get a two-and-a-half war in center field, and they get a three-war at shortstop and a two-war at second base, I mean, you're looking at a 15-war turnaround just in war. I mean, and then you start asking yourself, is is Candelario going to play worse? Is Torkelson going to be worse than what Jonathan Scope was, pardon me, at first base? Mm -hmm. I mean, is Badu going to be worse or better than last year? I don't think he's going to be worse, Okay. And Grossman is pretty consistent. So when you ask me about 87 wins, most of the variation comes in the pitching. I think the position, they were very, very poor in position war last year. I think I have them last year from uh, Fangraph's war. Their position war was trying to. I I have 8.8. Yeah, 8.8. Let me see. Let me pull this all up. Their, their position war, they were. Which would have been 30th, by the way. Uh, yeah, five, they got they were they were eight eight point nine 30th out of 30 teams. So, yeah. you know, by the way, if you were to flip the war the way I just did and add 14 war in a turnaround at the positions that I discussed takes them, let's say, to 23 war. Yeah, 23 war would have been eight and eighth in baseball. Atlanta was 22.1 last year. Yeah, there you go. They are, yeah. So, 
if I, I and I don't think that I was being unrealistic, just keeping everything level, but just turning around second base, shortstop, and center field, and you know. Yep. And, and one of the things we we, we had Dan Dickerson on uh, was it two weeks ago now you last week yeah. I, everything's been crashing together it, it, he he really talked about how AJ Hinch was really frustrated last year with the Tigers inability to turn double plays yep uh, and and Javi Baez Jonathan Scope he's got two plus to plus plus tools one of them's power and one of them is his arm he's great at turning double plays Javi Baez has got really quick hands they're going to turn a lot of great double plays this year and that's going to help that's going to help the pitchers Tucker Barton so I think, you know, you talk about Tucker Barnhart's, uh, you know, offensive contributions. Nobody really cares. AJ Hinch doesn't care. As long as he's not hitting under 100, he's going to go out there and he's going to make every pitcher better. So in, in one of the other things they've done is that they've lengthened the lineup. They've lengthened the bench. We talked about it with, with Meadows. Austin Meadows was great against everybody in 2019. The last couple of years, he struggled against lefties. If you got a tough lefty coming in, you put in Eric Haas. Eric Haas hit. Uh, he had like a 145 WRC plus against uh, left-handed pitching last year, 11 home runs and 120 at bats. Like that's a, a fantastic weapon to have off the bench. So uh, it'll be fun. It, it's, you know, guys, I mean, you know, we talk a lot, but it, it, it's nice to see them making moves that you can actually understand that they've been doing homework about how to, piece together a puzzle yeah it's been a long time since they've done this and you know i've i've made fun of myself a a lot this winter that i have nothing left to complain about and i kind of don't i mean yes do i wish that we didn't you know have an ash can of relief depth at this point yeah i mean but it's it's I think a lot of teams have this issue, some pretty good teams, all right? But, you know, the bigger the bigger issues of them sustaining being a decent team, they've addressed. The Meadows trade, I really think, helps them in so many synergistic ways. And not that he's such a great player, but he adds a dimension they really needed, which is a pretty fearsome power bat. Yep. Um, in the middle of the lineup, he pushes everybody down a spot. Hot. And, you know, I've said this to you when we've gone to games together for years, but, you know, between, you know, middle of May and the middle of September, the ball flies to right field at Comerica. It just does. I mean, it's – and he – go go look at his heat map. I mean, he hits home runs pretty much all pole field. So, I mean, yes, it's very deep past the, past the corner and right center, but he didn't hit many there. He pulls the baseball for home runs against right-handed pitching. So – Wear out that tarp. Yeah. In, 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 <laughs> yeah, the Del Tire tarp, is that yeah. what it is? Yeah. I, I just, you know, and he's used, look, Parker, I mean, Metals has been, he played in the best division in baseball for the last four years. He's used to facing good teams and good pitching. This isn't, you know, somebody that played in Colorado. I mean, th- this guy's been facing 
the Yankees and the Red Sox in 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 Toronto. I mean, he's been facing high quality teams and been the the primary power bat in a team that's won between ninety two and one hundred and five games for the last few years. So, you know, it's hard not to like what they did, and we'll, you know. It should be a pretty entertaining baseball season. I hate to be so optimistic and ruin my own reputation, but uh, I mean, we always give the, the caveat that it, it, like injuries can spoil anybody's season. You know, the Twins right. were supposed to win ninety games last year, and they crashed and burned so hard that they traded everybody, and then they decided to, uh, you know, come back and try again. So, uh, but yeah, I, I think there's a lot to. It's going to be a, a hell of an exciting team. I think at times, you know, Baez is super exciting. Badu is exciting. Torque will be exciting. When Green comes up, he's exciting. It's. Uh, it's a fun team to watch, and uh, the pitching, young pitching, and then you got Erod, who's uh, boringly good. Yep. I think he's better than that, Chris. Yeah, I really do. I, I think he's damn good, and and I think the fact that they have, you know, a better, some better fielding behind him than he had last year, which hurt not, his not numbers. Bad. Yeah, uh, he's I, he's not a Jordan Zimmerman signing. Uh, let's hope not. I think he's a uh, his stuff is uh, far superior. On that note, we should get to the questions. He's as uh, we only got a couple this evening, and I think it was because earlier I didn't put out for questions earlier. That's on that's on me. But uh, what two questions do we get tonight, Chris? Well, we got the usual suspects. Deadly Ninja Bees. He said that uh, I predict Willie Castro will lead me to drink. Uh, Willie Castro's in Toledo, so I mean that's just like an excuse, but. Uh, he said, what does the Meadows trade mean for Grossman's future in Detroit long-term? Look, I think there was somebody that asked a question the other day about whether it makes Grossman expendable when Riley Green gets back. But honestly, at this point, they're going to need all the healthy bodies they can get. I mean, again, Green's uh, coming back. It doesn't reassure or doesn't mean a guaranteed thing. So I, I think that Grossman stays with the team unless some other Miracle comes out of, out of the woodwork. Well, I mean, Grossman signed through this year, and that's it. And and he's a, a quality player, gets on base a ton. Obviously, the 2020 season was awesome. I don't know. I mean, that it's hard to predict getting any better than he was last year. And for a while, he kind of just felt like, you know, you hate to call him a placeholder, but he's a, he's a solid major leaguer, and they needed some of that last year. And, and Meadows has a higher ceiling. Badu probably has a higher ceiling. Uh, you know, Green has a higher ceiling. He, he's just probably going to get edged out in the way that you see when teams are trying to compete. You got to upgrade at some point from average players to good players. He's he's, he's kind of like a comfortable old shoe, right? That's kind of what you got. You got your you got your career year out of him last year. So right there, it's been a phenomenal signing. And if he has a decent year this year, he's going to help them. Uh, does he want to come back next year? What does the market look like uh, for someone of his skill level? You know, if he comes back and he's your fourth outfielder, a switch hitter, playing all around the outfield or DH at times, uh, he could help them. I don't know what team is going to throw big money at him to go be a starter somewhere. So he might not be done after this year. Right. Uh, here, he, he, I give I give you a realistic way to look at stuff like this, which is between right field, left field, and center field. There's 2,100 at bats in a season. Okay, and maybe you can steal some at bats from DH 
too. All right. Um, you got four guys to to give you those at bats up with. So you got you know Meadows, Green, Bedu, Grossman, right? And so maybe your fifth and sixth outfielder. There's about 200, 250 at bats somewhere in there too. So there's plenty of at bats for you know Grossman and. I think what we're forgetting is, you know, we had heard this and, you know, you guys are, by the way, I, I'm so ha- happy and proud to say you are official media members of <laughs> the Detroit Tigers. And you know how happy that made me. But, uh, you know, we, we know a few people and they were discussing extension with Grossman at the end of the year last year. And I will be shocked that if we don't find out sometime soon, especially if he gets off to a decent start, that they extended him a year. So Mm -hmm. he's not young. He's not expensive. He's a six or seven million dollar player. I'm sure he likes it here. Um, And he's a real useful player. He's useful in the locker room. He's it was funny. I was. Listen to uh, Alex Anthropolis talk for a couple minutes before I came on the night, and he admitted something. And look, Anthropolis is—he's got to be in the top five GMs in the game now, far, and far yeah. from afraid of making deals, right? I mean, he just got—he just let Freddie Freeman walk and then acquired Matt Olson and signed him. I mean, <laughs> that's some stones, right? Um, and he was saying for years, he would have really great teams on paper and somehow they underachieved in his own mind. When he started to understand there was a certain level of importance that he had not emphasized enough about team chemistry, which, you know, people love to debate that topic, but he said when he, he prioritized team chemistry along with the skill level of his teams. All of a sudden his team started winning a whole hell of a lot more and they've won a lot in Atlanta. Let's be really blunt about it. Um, And I think Robbie Grossman is a pretty integral part of team chemistry for Hinch. I mean, there, there was a reason why Hinch wanted to sign Robbie Grossman last winter. All right. And let's be real clear who wanted to sign Robbie Grossman last winter. So um, I'll be shocked if they don't extend Robbie Grossman a year, if they're they're duplicating a similar caliber of play as as they did last year. Yeah, no, I I think, uh, you know, more uh, solid players you have, the better. And uh, he's not old. He's just, you know, getting older. But uh, the uh, we, we also had a question from Steve Butts, who who gave us his prediction. He said, just outside of the playoffs for the Tigers with 84 wins. Then he asked if Miggy will have fewer at-bats in 2022. And who's the biggest regression candidate? Scope, Candelario, Haas, or Badu? That's a really good question. And That's a tough question. Yeah. I mean. Damn, Steve. <laughs> I, I, I will say that the the – sort of the metrics at StatCast and stuff didn't particularly like what Akil Badu was doing last year. 
I, I don't, you know, having watched him every game, I'm like, I don't know if I believe that, you know, this is, this is a guy he can, he can whip the ball around he's fast. He makes things happen. So I think he's got a good chance to, to at least repeat what he did last year. Haas feels like the one that's least likely to repeat to me. Uh, he hits the hell out of the ball it, and you watching him today. He was just parking the ball in the stand. The stand it was fun to watch because he's not a big dude. Like he's smaller than me. Um, but still, you know, he had what twenty-two home runs last year and like two hundred fifty at bats or something like that. It, it was ridiculous and awesome. And it's just, it's. I still think he'll be a valuable player. I think I compared him to Marcus Thames the other day. Like th- this is a guy who, who could be a really useful power bat off the bench who's gonna gonna produce for you. But I, I don't think he's quite gonna do what he did last year. As I mean, far as progression, what, regression. what do you guys think that a second-year player would improve? I, yeah, I would think so. Yeah. I mean, I think yeah, there's the traditional idea of the sophomore slump or the sophomore jinx or whatever, but I think that goes back to that era where scouting wasn't nearly as good as it is now. I mean, we wrote like four articles last year about Akil Badu making adjustments during the season because he, he, he struggled, then he got really good, then he struggled, then he got really good again. And, and yeah, I, I think you would think that he's going to get better. But, you know, sometimes, sometimes there's just uh, batted ball luck. Uh, things like that, that they can create uh, a slightly lower uh, performance. See, you know, weirdly, the one part about Hinch that I love more than any other part besides the winning is A.J. Hinch is, he, he's demanding in, a, in an encouraging way. That's, that's the way I would explain it. You he's going to put you out there and expect performance. It's nothing less. There's no babying you. Okay. And if you earn your spot, you get your spot. If you don't, you don't. I mean, it's, he doesn't candy coat it. The other thing that is really interesting. And if you listen, Hinch will not necessarily degrade or denigrate players performance that much, but he's pretty blunt. And if you listen to him, he will tell you what he thinks players need to improve on or what he expects them to improve upon. So, And he doesn't really candy coat it. And I can imagine if he's saying that out loud so we can hear it, it's probably even more direct you know, when someone's in his office having that discussion. But he's yeah. also providing you a pathway – and a method to make those improvements. He helps you make those improvements. It's not like he sends you down the hall and says, yeah, come back when you're better. He he has a plan about how to help you get better. And so when I think about Akil Badu, that's the kind of thought. I, I mean, I, when I think about that, I think about Akil Badu. I think about Casey Mize. I think about the, what Green and Torkelson will go through. I think maybe he'll be able to help Baez. Baez has never been the man before. He's been one of the guys. Now he's kind of got to be the team, you know, in some ways a team leader now. It's a little different expectation of responsibility for him, you know. So I'll be interested to see how he responds to that. I think Candelario is far more established. I mean, look, two years ago we were watching – you know, Heimer Candelario, Jamer Candelario, and they were just just throwing endless 
spin underneath his hands when he was hitting left-handed, and he, he couldn't hit it. <laughs> it seems like a long time ago, though, now, right? Yep. So I, I think that we we have to think that somehow teams under A.J. Hinch get better, and you got to depend on that. And I think it's it happened in Houston, too. A.J. Hinch's teams in Houston were really, really, really good. Yep. And it's not a coincidence now that when A.J. Hinch manages your team, you're, you're pretty damn good. So I, I think that some of these players are going to get better. And it, it's, it's hard to believe that I'm willing to say these things out loud. <laughs> but, you know, the bottom line is, is that, you know, I, I respect performance, dude. I mean, how do you not? I mean, look, look at the last era when the team was good. Did, did, did we respect Verlander? Did we respect Scherzer? Did we respect Martinez and Vic Martinez? Yeah, because they were reliably produced. And, you know, so I respect Hinch in the same way. And I expect the team to to produce because he knows how to get the best out of players and he knows how to improve. He knows how to optimize them. Yep. So, yeah, these players are scary, but I, I worry about it less because the guy who's pulling the levers is pretty damn good at it. Well said. Um, uh, for Steve's other question on Cabrera, they're moving him back to fifth off after third. So he's going to have less at bats just from that. I think it's, 18 at-bats per lineup spot over the course of the season. So he's got less at-bats there. Now he's 39. You know, the injury list he's had, hard to imagine he gets through a full season without at least one IL stint in there. So his his at-bats might go down a little bit um, from prior years. Uh, But still got to hope that some of that, you know, well-timed singles with men on base – He's still got a little bit of that magic left in him. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, just in general, a year older, your ABs are going to go down. The, the lineup is deeper. There's going to be more options for Hinch. I think we'll see Cabrera get fewer starts. He'll probably get fewer. Uh, he'll probably get pinch hit for more uh, in games, too. But it, they'll certainly play him pretty regularly until he gets, uh, you know, the singles, uh, gets 3,000 hits and then, uh, you know, 600 doubles. And then I think it's a matter of, of how much the team is competing and how he's performing. Even Miguel Cabrera is going to have to perform, like Mark was saying. You, you know, if, if he's out there hitting 200, Hinch isn't going to play him uh, for his own good, really. But I expect Cabrera, he's too smart. He still looks big and strong. His bat is still you know, pretty fast. I, I expect him to do about what he did last year, which was pretty good from, uh, was it May or June on? May 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 sixth on he was, you know, a seven fifty OPS. He hit two seventy plus. I mean, he had a pretty solid year after you know from that time. Yeah, it's it's a one hundred four WRC plus. It's it's not ideal production from a DH, but it's a, it's an uh, an above average offensive performer, and it you know it pales in comparison to what Cabrera was. But we always knew that was going to happen, and so if he can contribute. He's going to play, and in uh, Hinch, singing the praises again. He, he's great at matchups. He's great at putting guys in positions that he uh, can succeed. And so I think, I think he'll get. I, I don't know how, how many bats did he get last year. What I'm looking right now, let's see. 
526 plate appearances. I, I'd probably put that around more 450 tops. Oh, say. But uh, he's still going to play plenty, and fans are going to come out to see him because he's great. You know, and kudos to him for accepting moving down in the lineup. Not always easy for a legend. Um, and in, as we said a couple weeks ago, the last few years, it didn't matter where he batted because the team stunk. So you want to bat him third, great. You know, okay. Uh, but he's not a three-hole hitter on a good team, and he acknowledges it, and that's uh, – a good thing. And and he's having fun. He was smiling down there today. He, uh, he was chattering with, there were guys in the stands, like maintenance workers replacing, you know, the little silver baseballs on the seats. Mm-hmm. They're replacing those. And some of them have like season ticket holders on there. And Mickey was yeah. chattering with them. And it was like, cool. I didn't see anybody else talk to the maintenance workers. So he's just, he's a kid out there and he's having fun. And, and so it's good to see. And, and the attitude seems to be right. I'll tell I'll tell you something funny that I've been thinking about Cabrera this year is, is that I'm not a big, I, I might've tweeted this. I'm not a huge fan of Javi Baez hitting third. I just don't think he gets on base enough to hit third. Yeah. And it, maybe it will encourage him or motivate him to be slightly more selective in what he's swinging at by hitting third. I think what's more likely to me is it would not shock me if Cabrera is swinging well, if he ends up moving back to hit third, Baez hits fifth. I, I just think the fit of that is is better. Cabrera is such a good hitter with men on base, especially deep in counts. Yes, he struggles against some fastballs sometimes these days, but wouldn't wouldn't shock me if they ended up swapping spots. I think Meadows will end up probably hitting fourth. I'll be interested to see if Heimer's hitting, you know, it would be nice, a nice dilemma to have. I think, you know, Candelario also is going to play a part in this based on how well he hits, but you know, Hinch doesn't like to have same handedness too many times in a row in a lineup. Um, It'll be interesting to see. You know, my other prediction was by the end of the season, I'm much more inclined to think that Riley Green is hitting leadoff than Akil Badu is hitting leadoff. That's that fair. Be, you know, man, he, boy, he Riley Green looks so good this spring. <laughs> yeah, I was talking earlier today, you know, Brad Galley from Channel 7 did that that fun video with, uh, he went down and visited Riley Green and Spencer Torkelson at their place in Florida, and Riley Green kind of makes Spencer Torkelson look like a middle schooler. He's Green's got him by a couple inches, and he's much more muscular. And it's just like, man, this this kid. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, well, you, you you hope he can come back. Uh, I'm not too worried about it. He missed, you know, 2020. He barely played in the minors. He's still really good. He'll be fine. Do you know what concerned me, Chris? Is that you break your, you know, if he was playing a corner, I wouldn't really say anything. But he's going to have to play center. Yeah. And I just worry how freely he will be able to run per me. And, you know, you you got to be able to run to play center field, man. So, yeah. he, I guess he'll have to prove to me from an injury standpoint that uh, he's healthy and it's not a problem. But I'll, I'll repeat – I've repeated this once or twice, but – Last summer around July, I, I just finally, you know, not not the most optimistic 
baseball human, unless you're great. If you're great, I'll t- I'll say you're great. Okay, <laughs> and you know, for all all everybody likes to harass Lynn for some of the outlandish things he says at times. Um, you know, I know him very well, and so I I DM'd him and I said, Lynn, I'm I'm 65 years old. I think this is the best. Tiger positional prospect of my lifetime. He, he was like, really, Mark? I went, yeah. I think that, you know, this is this is the this is what I see. He's just just watch the at bats. And even when he gets fooled, you guys saw him in Toledo a bunch of times. And even when he's fooled a little bit, he still shoots the ball to the left, or all of a sudden the ball flies over the wall in left field. It's like, huh. You know, and it when you're using the whole field like that, and I mean, look, everybody, when you leave it in your wheelhouse and you tag it, it's, you know, I mean, come on. He hits it 112 miles an hour to the pull. It's going out. It's, yep. it's the other stuff that you really kind of just shake your head and go, damn. Okay. And that's the kind of hitter he is. I mean, his takes are so good. It's, it's, it's pretty amazing. He'll have his slumps. He has a swing hole or two, but yeah. Well, my I'm disappointed about him being gone for opening day because my whole take was going to be the Tigers had no troubles that a a Fred Lynn Jim Rice Rookie of the Year duel couldn't solve. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that would solve That's a lot funny. of deals. Well, you know what's funny is I was looking because uh, somebody. Some national writer was, I think, on the ringer was like, uh, talk about Spencer Torkelson, and they're like, you know, keep in mind that Aaron Judge has the American League record for home runs in a season. And I'm like, right, come on, settle down. Like, uh, Torque is, is hits for power. I think his raw power is a little bit overblown. I think what Torkelson excels at is is consistently hitting the ball between like 95 and 105 miles an hour. He just laces line drives. And, and But so I was looking up the American League record for doubles by a rookie. And I believe it is Fred Lynn with like 47. And I don't think Torque can get there, but the Tigers, the Tigers' modern, you know, integration era record for doubles is thirty-five, I think, by Austin Jackson. And I think Torque, yeah, yeah, I think Torque could could hit forty this year. Oh, he, the way he goes the other way, you tell him he can't shoot a bunch up that gap. I, I yeah. so absolutely. The so, uh, oh, go ahead. Let, let, let's 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 talk about this for a second. I, I'm sure we're getting late into this, but I, I just would like to hear your your guys' predictions of what you think Torkelson will give me. Give me a slash line in a in a homer number for Torkelson this year. I'm curious. Uh, Two seventy, three forty, maybe a little bit over, you know, right around five hundred. Hopefully. How many homers? I, I on our thing today, I had him over twenty five, so I'll say twenty six. Yeah, I, I, I always struggle with throwing up a slash line on the fly because I'm like, wait, wait, what does that mean? What does that mean? I think I have him under twenty five home runs. I think it's going to be twenty two, twenty three home runs, and like I said, a boatload of doubles, and I can see him hitting anywhere between two fifty, two seventy. With uh, and he wasn't showing this sort of patience this spring that. We saw from him last year in the minors, uh, and part of it, I think, is he was just trying to find his swing, and that was his process, was swinging a little. Uh, but I do think he'll walk more as the season goes along, and he'll probably get up to 9%, 10 11% walk rate. So 
mean, I think it's going to be a good offensive season, like a 120 WRC plus, wow. which is great for a rookie. So I'm probably the low man here just in watching him, watching how they've pitched him. <clears throat> I think he'll finish far better than his first 200 bats will be. I think uh, I, I, I'm going to go with like 248, 329, 460, 23 homers. A um, little nervous about velocity, especially inside. I've said this I've said this to you guys for a few weeks, and I'm watching Aaron Nola pitch to him, <laughs> and, you know, he hit a homer off of Aaron Nola because Aaron Nola made a mistake. But if you watch the pattern, that how he was being pitched by Aaron Nola and that at bat, he, I don't know how many pitches in a row he threw – inside and even inside off the plate, but it was numerous. Okay. And I I've seen him struggle with that pitch. He, he struggles to get the barrel out. And once you start compensating for that, other, other things become difficult too. And I think that is going to be a microcosm of his first 200 at bats. And then at some point they will make adjustments, whether they back him off the plate an inch or two, whether he, learns how to take some of those pitches as balls. But um, I think the first 200 at-bats of Spencer Torkelson's season is going to be a lot of up and down. He will hit – he will crush some mistakes because he crushes mistakes. But major league pitchers are – they're an insidious bunch, man. And once they find the hole – they're going to make you prove to them that you can hit that. And we've all seen it. And I, I think that that will be the journey of the first 200 at-bats of Spencer Torkelson. So hopefully he doesn't get frustrated. Well, I mean, he's a guy that that we saw make adjustments last year to where, you know, at the beginning he, he just was swinging and missing at everything. And he was, yep. he was pretty consistently taking – pitches away and not in not driving them at all and and by the end of the year he was driving taking those and and it was basically like he was waiting for a pitch that he could crush every at bat and he eventually moved off of that and, and learned to hey this is a pitch i can drive for a single or a double the opposite way and we saw that a bunch in the spring too and so i think that was an adjustment he made over the course of the year and uh i don't know it, what you want to see from hitters right adjustments and, and and i think he's an adept hitter that way i I've made comparisons to guys like Reese Hoskins before and things like that. I think he's going to be a good offensive player. I, I still wonder about the batting average, but I also don't care all that much if he's hitting for power and, and getting on a base. So I don't know, it, it, he'll definitely be fun to watch. And Hinch, Hinch was saying, like, hey, I wish you guys would just leave him alone for a couple of weeks because he knows, he knows what it's going to be like. It's, he's going to struggle. Everybody does, you know. Uh, so, But it's going to be – I don't know. I, I think – Having all the other talent on the roster now is really going to help him a lot. He's not going to have to worry about, you know, <laughs> leading the team as a 22-year-old rookie. So, or 23, I don't know what he is now. But, yeah, so it, it, he'll be fascinating to watch. It is a bummer that he and Green aren't coming up together. That was going to be real fun. But uh, I will say that we got one more comment that I wanted to mention uh, just because, you know, 
Steve Cook mentioned uh, he just made one prediction. He said, Scoobal, 15 wins, 3-4 ERA, 11 strikeouts per nine, all-star. Ooh. From his lips, from his keyboard to God's ear. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I, I, say, I say the uh, the the potential is there for sure. I think what Mark mentioned, you know, about an hour ago was about Scoobal, you know, uh, fastballs getting hit over the wall. Yeah. I, I, I think we still saw it once or twice this spring where every now and then he – loses concentration and, and fires in a 92-mile-an-hour fastball that catches too much at the plate. And guys, I think – I don't know if he gave up a homer this spring, but he gave up a couple of hits on pitches like that. And it, uh, I think that's just the sort of thing where he needs to – he's an intense guy, I think, in general. But it, it's tough to maintain that level of intensity for full starts. You have to go full Scherzer. And I think he might one day, but uh, he's still working on it. I think so. I think, yeah, I think you hit it real hard. It's, it's the focus. You know, I just think back to that – game where uh paul goldschmidt lit him up a couple times on o2 pitches and where the mindset was where he's up o2 and he just came right down broadway <laughs> you know and, and that, uh, that was the game where he was a monster against everybody else and he had like 12 strikeouts that game so yeah yes. I, I gotta tell you i didn't get a chance you know i've been working so much i didn't get a chance i actually have it on my dvr to watch but i did see a few scuble this I'm, I'm sure is that a curveball or a slider or a slurve? What the heck is that that he's releasing at like ten o'clock and it's finishing at four thirty? What it what, what is he calling it? Well, so he, he's definitely throwing the slider more this year and it looks good. But he's also he's firmed up his his curve to the point where they were classifying as a knuckle curve now. It's up like three miles an hour. But he didn't throw that as much. He was really relying on that slider, I think, and, and it. It was as good as I've seen it. So I think that might be the pitch you're talking about. I'll tell you what made me most excited about that pitch is, look, lefties aren't going to touch that pitch. Let's just not even have a discussion about it. That's just, (laughs) sorry, dude, okay? (laughs) But Scoob's issues is he's got to get right-hand hitters out better. And I saw him throw that pitch to to a few right-hand hitters. And I was like, damn. And the the good the good news about that pitch was it was finishing you know hard back foot that that pitch can be if you make sure that it's not a strike okay that that's a pretty effective pitch and it's going to really set up his change off you know arm side you pair those pitches together you know back to back I mean, that, that'll really help Scooble a lot. Then all he has to do is throw high fastballs and mix them in. They bear, you know, at the top of the zone, and he he will be really, really good if he can if he can command those those pitches, especially to right hand hitters. That would be pretty exciting to say the least. Yeah, and, and we got to see him. He faced a couple pretty strong lineups. I think he faced the Blue Jays a couple times, and yeah. the, I think he struck out Springer three times in one game. Uh, and the Phillies is, is not a, a lineup you want to laugh at. Uh, I don't know if you saw the full Castellanos, Schwarber, Harper lineup there. But, yeah, I, I, I think we've all said that we think that Scoobal has the biggest upside of these arms. And But it takes pitchers time to figure things out. And, uh, hell, if he's an all-star, I think that's, uh, yeah. that's a great development this year. So I, I, think, I think Bryce Harper hit, like, 23 home runs in the spring. I, I, I'd never seen anything like it. It <laughs> – Three, was, three multi-homer games. Yeah. You know the other weird thing, and the, you know, 
pardon me, the Phillies are probably not allowing anyone to discuss it, but, you know, Mickey Moniak was figuring a few things out last year, and I think Kevin Long has helped them this spring. He had six homers. Yeah. So he was actually we, – we decided to, to can the segments. Uh, we're we're going to wrap up here in a second. Rogers had a hell of a week. He's not feeling all that well, so I'm going I'm to close it down here in a second. But he was uh, – Moniak was actually ugly because, yeah, the first overall pick in 2016, it looked like he was going to be a great hitter, a great outfielder. Things didn't go well in pro ball, and he was kind of looking like a bust. Uh, and then, yeah, this spring hits 378, six bombs, and then yesterday breaks his hand. Oh, it's like, God, I just you really? feel awful. He's still only 23. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Out, out I know that he broke his hand. So, yeah, it's, it, and that's what I – it that's just sucks. That's a shame, man. So, Moniak and Green both break bones in spring training. It sucks. Yeah, band spring training before the shift. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, so – I don't know, like I said, you know, Rogers, uh, he, he's had a hell of a week. I think people will understand coming in the next few days what's been going on. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. We want to appreciate uh, Mark for coming along with us today to discussing this. It's always fun to get to, uh, together and talk about baseball right before opening day. I'm excited for the season. Uh, I think all of us are. And uh, yeah, we already did our predictions. So I don't know if there's anything else to say. I, I just, uh, thanks, you know. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, thanks, Mark. Uh, Thanks to everybody for for checking us out and listening. And uh, yeah, I guess we'll uh, we'll talk to you next week. See how that first week of Tigers baseball goes. Have a good one, everybody.